honor again any time one is invited to speak from this prestigious position. I think we should mention several prayers for these three brothers here. Lest they suffer whiplash. So, uh, if you want to put helmets on, uh, that's... Uh, Well, uh, I have a passage I want to share with you this morning. A familiar one, and uh, found in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 11. Going to save my outline for the conclusion. Maybe just let, perhaps let you try to figure it out yourself, because I haven't been able to. <laughs> John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother, Lazarus, now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And I'm going to stop for the moment at verse 6, but uh, before the bell rings, we should be fairly comfortably through the whole chapter. Mary and Martha have a problem. A dead brother. meant that entirely seriously. Uh, may I ask just briefly for a show of hands this morning, are there any people here in, in, in who have sometime in the past uh, served in some kind of a paramedic team? Uh, ambulance drivers, uh, oxygen administrators, Cheerleaders. <laughs> well, they're uh, apparently not. Uh, 
There used to be a program on TV. Uh, they, uh, it may be on the reruns now, around 4 or 5 o'clock, but it used to be on prime time called uh, Emergency. How many of you have ever seen that program? All right. No wonder you're all getting seized. <laughs> well, you remember that uh, the two main characters in that story were uh, two young fellows. There were other supporting actors, but there were two main actors, and they were paramedics, or, or some such term. Uh, I think I watched that program enough, twice, to know, to know this, that regardless of what those guys were doing, they could be stripping down an old 56 Chev, they could have been discussing last night's date, which was a bomb, they could be eating lunch or supper, but when the buzzer goes, indicating somebody somewhere is hurting and needs professional help, however dear to them their current project may be, they stop. You stop eating, you stop talking, and you take off immediately in response to the SOS. I don't think a pastor, for instance, would be really worth his salt if he got an emergency call from one of his parishioners while he was engaged in a ping-pong match with his wife and responded by saying he would be there as soon as the match was over. But first things first. And would you not expect that when someone sends an SOS to Jesus, that uh, he wouldn't start his little blinkers turning and his sirens going and getting to the scene of the accident or the crisis as quickly as he can, breaking all speed limits in this process. That's what I think Jesus might do. But he didn't do it here. When he heard, the scripture says, verse 6, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Does that rub you the wrong way? Does that detract from the beauty of Jesus? Jesus. 
most of us are captivated what I call the itch for the instantaneous. And as a result of that, it's very difficult for many of us to accept the fact that God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. I, I love to remind my, my Bible students that back in the book of Genesis, at the age of 75, mind you, not a good time to start to think about having a family, but nevertheless, at the age of 75, God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you an Abraham Jr. I mean, when you're 75 and your wife is 65, you don't start flipping through the yellow pages of your telephone directory looking for an obstetrician. And yet the Bible tells us that Abraham had to wait 25 years until he got his first chance to change diapers. quarter of a century, he had to wait. The promise, the wait, and then the fulfillment. And so four days later, Jesus comes to Bethany from Jerusalem. And he is met by one of the survivors, Martha, who runs out to Jesus and says, Jesus, if you had been here, if only you had been here, my brother would still be living. And it's expressed with bewilderment. It's expressed with a little bit of resentment. You could have been here. There's no reason you didn't have to stay away, but you chose not to, and because you chose that path, my brother is now deceased. Now notice, please, as we progress through the chapter, the tenses of the verbs that are used here. Martha's first word to Jesus is this, if you had been here, past tense. And her second word to Jesus is this, I know that my brother will rise in the day of the resurrection. For Martha, her problem is in the past, and her solution is in the future. But Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. You know, many of us are either prisoners to our past, or we try to escape into the future. 
but we will not confront the present. Listen, Jesus is saying to Martha, do you believe that I right now, this morning, am the answer to your problem? forget about the if onlys and let's forget about the one days in the future let's talk about right now present tense do you believe this morning thursday that he is not was or will be but is the answer to your problem Then Martha, as the story progresses, returns home, goes back inside her house and gets her sister, Mary, who stayed behind. Got the house all ready for the mourners who are coming to pay their respects. And Martha says, sister, guess what? The master is here. He's calling for you. What did Mary do? She was like an Olympic sprinter. She shot out of her house, planted herself in front of Jesus, and she said exactly the same thing that her sister had said. Verse 32, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Let me hold on a minute here. Can you say exactly the same thing twice and mean a totally different thing the second time from the first time on the basis of your tone of voice? I mean, you can say exactly the same. But how you say it, how you inflect your voice, makes a world of difference. For instance, I may say to my children, while they're playing outside the house around supper time, come in. But let's say five times I have to ask them that. My fifth time is not going to be Come in. Come in. And probably at that point, I'm going to have to do what the Bible calls the laying on of hands. <laughs> and I see the first sister looking into Jesus and saying, with resentment and bitterness and almost hating him for it. If, if, if you, if you had been here, my brother would still be living. By contrast, I see the other sister going out and saying, not with resentment, not with bitterness, miscomprehension, mystery to be sure, but saying, Lord, I don't understand why you didn't come. 
You've mystified me. But I do know this, Lord, that if you had been here, my brother would still be living. You see, there were two groups of people in Palestine that could not tolerate Jesus. Number one, the Pharisees. Number two, the morticians. I mean, you don't want Jesus around if you're in the mortician business. You know, we do know that Jesus went to a funeral, didn't he? I mean, he went to a wedding. Just throwing me all off. I'm just intimidated by you. And Jesus went to a wedding, took his disciples to a wedding, but he never went to a funeral. And any time he accidentally bumped into a funeral, he turned it into a resurrection and sent the casket back to the mortician. I don't understand your delays, Lord, but I believe in you and I trust you and I know if you were here, he'd still be living. Then, after some further consolation, our Lord turns to Mary and Martha and says to them, Where have you laid him? Take me to your problem. Don't you think? Jesus knew where Lazarus was buried? Do you think Jesus really was ignorant in which grave he had been placed? I mean, do you think this morning that Jesus is really ignorant about your problems? I may be. And probably the guy or gal sitting on your left and right is abysmally ignorant about your problem, but do you really think he is? Do you think he's baffled this morning? He's wringing his hands and saying, boy, I just wish I knew what his hang-up was. Listen, Jesus is saying the same thing to you this morning and to me as he said to these sisters. Take me to your problem. Show me where it's buried. Are you willing to take him to your problem this morning? And then Jesus did a terrible thing when they actually got to the site. Scripture says he turned to those two sisters and he said, roll the stone away. I mean, do you have any idea how big that stone was? And I can see Mary and Martha huffing and puffing. <laughs> you know, come on, Martha, push! 
tell you, their objection to Jesus asking them to roll the stone away had nothing to do with their femininity. They did not turn to Jesus and say, well, why don't you pick two guys out of the band and let them do it? No, they did not object to the request of Jesus because they were too petite and, and, and they just didn't have the physical strength to do it. They said, Lord, don't ask us to do that. Because what's behind the stone smells. I mean, decomposition has already started in there being no such thing in ancient Palestine as what we know as embalming. Perhaps in ancient Egypt, yes, but not in Palestine. That's why the mourning comes after the burial, unlike our culture, not before, because you bury on the day of death. Lord, don't ask us, don't ask us to roll the stone away. Because what's behind that stone is so ugly. I prefer to keep it hidden. That's the kind of thing I don't want to surface. I prefer to keep my heavy stones in place. I wonder if there are some people here this morning who say, yeah, there are things in my life I prefer to keep buried. I don't want to roll the stone away because I know what's there. And Jesus turns to them and says, I know what's there. I know what's there and I know what state it's in, but I want you to roll the stone away. And then he speaks. When the stone is rolled away, he peers into that empty grave. And Jesus did something that was rather unusual. He raised his voice to an intensity that was abnormal. The scripture says that he shouted. He shouted. Not often did Jesus raise his voice that much. But on this occasion, he, he expanded his velocity in his lungs, and at the top of his voice, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And I think it was the great Bible expositor from England of another generation, G. Campbell Morgan, who said, in addressing himself to this situation, that he was so glad that Jesus prefaced come forth with, by saying, Lazarus, for if he had just said, come forth, they would have all come forth. Christian is someone who's back from the dead. Lazarus, come forth. 
it comes forth with this one problem. Have you ever tried to run a 100-meter dash wrapped up? I mean, let's face it. Being tied around from neck to feet with ropes somewhat immobilizes you for sprinting. And so Lazarus comes forth from the grave like he's on a pogo stick. I mean, I don't want to go to class like this. I want a little bit of mobility. And I think this scripture is saying to us something very profound about the Christian life. You can have life, the new life of Christ in you, but not have an awful lot of liberty. Lazarus is alive. He's breathing. It's not what you would call total liberty. And so our Lord looks at Lazarus and says a second word to him, and the second word is this, take off his grave clothes and let him go. Now he doesn't have simply the ability to breathe. Now he has freedom. I'm wondering if there are some people here this morning, our regular students or our visitors, who say, yeah, I think that's about where I am. I know that I have the life of Christ in me. My sins have been forgiven. I don't feel like I've got freedom. What I need Jesus to do this morning is to take off the bandages and let me go. Really let me go. But Paul says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Not just life, but freedom. And that's my outline. Six points to it if you try to pick it up. Number one, I am, not was or will be. Right now, this morning, I am the resurrection and the life. Point number two, do you believe that? Number three, take me to your problem. Number four, roll away the stone. Number five, come forth. And number six, take off his bandages and let him go. And there's a story I've heard on a couple of occasions that I love. And some of you have heard it, I know, as well. 
two men from Paris, France, who went across the channel and took a job in London. A job that, by the way, lasted for a good bit of time. And one of the two Parisians liked London so much better than Paris, and English lifestyles so much more than French lifestyles, that he decided to make London his home. And he decided to go even a, a step further. Not only would he now remain permanently in London, but he decided to take out British citizenship, go all the way. His other friend, however, was a real Parisian, it was heaven on earth, and he was glad to get back home. And so these two fellows, on the day that the one Frenchman, <coughs> excuse me, became an Englishman, an English citizen, were having their final conversation together. Now, no longer two French citizens, but one English citizen, one British citizen, and one French citizen. Before heading back across the channel, the, uh, the Frenchman turned to his, his colleague and said, well, uh, you're a British citizen now. Uh, do you feel any different? Does it make you feel any different? No. Does it make you feel any different at all? He said, have you suddenly taken a liking to British cooking instead of French cooking? No. Uh, have you been dropping your French accent and, and replacing it with an English accent? Uh, no. And questions went on and on like this, and finally the fellow's last question was this. Well, tell me, now that you've become a British citizen, is there any difference at all? Any, any, any difference at all? And he thought about it for a while. And he said, oh yeah, there's one. There's one difference. Yesterday, Waterloo was a defeat. Today, it's a victory. And you know, wherever Jesus comes, wherever Jesus comes, that's the kind of transformation that he brings. Where there is defeat, he brings victory. And where there is death, he brings life. And where there is meaninglessness, he brings meaningfulness. Where are you at this morning? In your own life. Someone need to roll some stones away? Someone need to have a, a word of new life brought to them? 
for someone that needs to be unbound and let go and find full freedom in the Spirit? Pray together. Lord Jesus, we're uncertain about a lot of things this morning. We're uncertain about where our world is going. We're uncertain about how the masses of hungry people in the world will be fed. We're uncertain, Lord, about a number of things in our own private life. sometimes not just uncertain, but literally knocked over by them. But there's one thing this morning about which we are not uncertain at all, and that is your power to overcome every obstacle and every sin in our life. We're not serving you, Lord Jesus, this morning with our fingers crossed, We're not serving you and at the same time stroking softly our rabbit's foot. Hoping for Jesus plus a little bit of good luck. We're just trusting Jesus completely this morning. I don't know of anybody, Lord, who's looked to you and been disappointed. People have rejected you crucified you and ignored you, but I know of no one who has come to you and trusted you and believed in you, only to have you tell them to get off your back and leave you alone. And so, Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning in this, I guess, first event of this weekend and pray that as we now go to the rest of the obligations of this morning, that uh, we will go and be prepared to do what needs to be done. And we trust you this morning because you are the resurrection and the life. And you want to meet us this morning in our present. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.